This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, this is Kim Ann Curtin. I'm so glad you're here to watch my podcast. Friendly reminder, I want you to go check out TraderHeroJourney.com. That is for you if you are a trader who's ever struggled with fear of missing out, greed, ego issues, anger issues, health issues. If you have been feeling isolated and alone, this is the community for you. This is a different sort of Discord room. It doesn't exist except for on TraderHeroJourney.com. This is to deal with all the psychological baggage that gets kicked up when you're a trader. I hope you'll check it out and I hope you'll join us. Aloha, everybody. Thank you for watching the Wall Street Coach podcast. Please welcome Alex Bazito, who is here with me today. I'm very excited to have an opportunity to talk about his journey from college student to becoming a seven-figure trader. Alex and I got to meet at the Traders for a Cause conference, or technically the after karaoke party at the New York, New York Hotel. That we technically went there, shared some karaoke. But his journey, I think, is fascinating and inspiring. So I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for coming, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, well, uh, quite the way to uh, to meet. <laughs> I've seen you through mutual friends and on Twitter, but. Sure enough, sitting beside me at the piano up bar. <laughs> Having the opportunity to be with somebody at karaoke bar in Vegas, I think is a next level of an intimacy. And if we can both be friends after that kind of situation, we probably are, we're probably at a good start. So. Exactly. I'm right there with you on that. <laughs> That's incredible. Not, nothing too embarrassing for either of us, luckily. So <laughs> it was a wild ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Vegas was a lot of fun. It was a very well uh, put together event and you know, I'm definitely planning on being there again. So hopefully I'll see you at the same piano bar. Yes, I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I had a lot of fun that night. I was where I live on a very isolated island and perhaps you do, too. I'm sure Puerto Rico has a little more excitement than the big island. But I was like, oh, my God, a karaoke bar. I haven't been to this in like eight years. So I'm very excited. <laughs> That's great. What part of the Big Island do you live on? I'm in Waimea, actually. Waimea, okay. Well, it's sort of up country from Kona and about an hour from Hilo. So we're kind of smack dab in the middle. Do you know the, nice. big, island? Do you know the big island? I went last May and we, um, Terry June, my wife has a family friend and she lives, I believe, is it? The Ritz Carlton or the Four Seasons? She lives at the Four Seasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. Yeah. That's about 40 minutes from me. That's so, awesome. Yeah. We'll have to find out more about that because I'm down there quite often. So that's amazing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. That's because it was cool. It was a really cool experience seeing all the volcanic rock and then how the island completely kind of changes yep. when, you know, in different parts. It's, it's interesting. Constantly is growing. And I think it's a great metaphor for like rebirth and death, right? Because it's destruction and yet rebirth all the time yeah. happening here. 
So speaking of which, you have had your own kind of journey over these past three or four years. And to just give you guys some context, he started trading back 2014, 2015. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. 2014, 2015 kind of just was a transferred freshman and was pretty lonely looking for a hobby. I was 20 years old at the time looking, dorming with a bunch of 18-year-olds. I didn't really know anyone. And my dad actually suggested I look into stock trading. And I found you know Tim Sykes and was with Tim Sykes for like a year and a half. And then from there, transitioned to Investors Underground. And you know, I'm still part of that chat room today. Yeah, I think you're one of you're one of the moderators, one of the people who helps advise and give input to the other traders that are in investors underground. Yeah, I used to be a lot more active. I'd say back in the day, the past, I want to say like two, three years, I've kind of dialed back from the activity. But uh nonetheless, I'm kind of I'm still I'm still lurking nowadays. Good. <laughs> just it's- yeah, just don't post as much as I used to. Sometimes there's just seasons, especially when life gets busy. You recently got married. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's nice. It was beautiful. It was everything I was hoping for, but it's also really exciting to uh, kind of start the next chapter of life and have that, you know, behind us and honestly just focus on work. You know, I feel like, I feel like part of my journey right now, like the exponential growth is right around the corner and it's kind of nice to have everything in life kind of behind me to where I can just kind of focus on that for now. Yeah, for sure. And I'm curious, just for yourself, what do you feel were the strengths or attributes, you know, to become a seven-figure trader is, I think, a dream of many traders who are beginners. What the attributes that you feel got you there in really a very, you know, relatively short amount of time? Yeah, I I mean, at first it was definitely a, a little bit of luck, but uh risk management is definitely the most important attribute. I mean, having an appetite for risk, you know, not a lot of people can just kind of be okay with losing money and losing a lot, you know, a lot a lot of money over the period of time. I'd have to say risk management is probably the best attribute and I I learned the hard way. I you know, I had my first year trading super lucky. You know, turned twenty five thousand to two hundred twenty five, you know, two hundred fifty thousand, and then I lost it all on one trade, shorting a stock. So, you know, that kind of, I took like two months off trading after that. I was like depressed and um, kind of wondering like what happened, like how was I so wrong? And and it was actually my dad who told me to kind of get back on the saddle, you know, give it another chance. And then, but that made me kind of reflect on and notice that there were a lot of times where I was wrong on a stock, and I'd keep adding. And it would turn in my favor. And I simply just got lucky that, you know, uh, you know, a twenty, thirty thousand trade would result from that when it really could have been a monstrous loss, like the one I experienced on um an oil company Ren back then. Wow. So what I'm hearing is that often somebody can just be lucky. Yeah, yeah. I think luck is definitely a part of it, whether it's meeting the right people who kind of introduce you to stuff. You know, I think for in terms of another attribute, I think networking is probably one of the best you know attributes. I always believed that day trading. I, I didn't think I would talk to anyone. I thought it was something I did at home alone. And uh, to think that people I've met in the in chat rooms and you know are some of my best friends to date, and you know people I I talk to every single day. Like I, I never in a million years when I first was starting up think like thought that 
it was such a social thing. I thought it was always just kind of an introverted, you know, just me in front of my screens. You know, I, di- I didn't realize how social it could be and, and how uh, big of a factor networking would kind of impact my life. Did the networking begin relatively soon after you started? How far in were you when you started to make those connections? I would say it was probably 2016, 17. So I, I didn't, you know, when I was first originally in Tim Sykes' room, I didn't really network much. I was, I remember I'd like, I may have messaged like Tim Gratani a few times back then, Tim a few times, but yeah, that was really just, you know, I was just alone doing my own thing. But then when I switched to Investors Underground and I found myself kind of reaching out to Nate, Eric, and some of the other guys in the chat room, the moderators at the time, and you know, it, it was awesome getting responses. So then, you know, Eric and I actually bonded over my biggest loss, you know, rent because he was also in the stock at the time, and that kind of created a little bond because we chatted about it, and you know, kind of you know trying to reflect on where I went wrong and all that, and that's really where I started building relationships, and then you know as I started performing better and having good calls. Nate kind of took notice and Nate became super friendly and reaching out more. And it just kind of was a slow snowball effect where then all of a sudden it was like, was invited to a Discord room. The Discord room had, you know, some idols I looked up to. And then, you know, they introduced me to people and it just, it kind of was just like a snowball effect. I think, do you feel that triggers that don't utilize the social aspect perhaps sabotage the amount of time it takes. Because what I'm hearing with your story is that those connections, even the empathy you received over your loss, possibly allowed you to process through that loss quicker. Yeah, I think one of the you know best things is definitely the support system. So I've had nothing but support from my wife and my parents to where like, you know, it's not every day that, you know, I, I think that, you know, you could lose 225000 on a trade and, you know, your dad tell you to kind of keep going after and not just say, hey, yeah, I think you, you know, you should, you should stop. You know, if you would have said that, I probably, I probably never would have got back into it, you know, would have been looking for other jobs. So being able to, at the end of the day, whether, you know, it's a bad loss or a very nice win, it, it is nice to have that support system and, and know that, you know, uh, trading is our, you know, our job, but like, you want to identify as more than just a trader. I think if you only identify it as a trader, that you know, when you go through a losing streak, or you know, it just—I I think you're um, emotionally able. It'll, it'll kind of just crumble you. You know, I think you need a. You know, everyone needs to realize that they are more than just a trader, and you know, just it, it's a job, and you know, you're going to perform very well some days. You're going to underperform other days, and I think that helps you kind of detach too. But it's easier said than done and having that, you know, good support system that you can escape to, you know, when you're away from the market, doing things you enjoy, you know, that, that makes it way easier than if you're just kind of alone and you're just putting, you know, nothing, you know, you're, every day, all day is into stocks and you have no other escape from stocks. You're not doing well. Like it, that could definitely like negatively impact you for sure. Yeah. Do you feel that you've come from a place how did you not allow yourself to just collapse your whole identity with being a traitor? That's a tough question. That's a, it's a very tough question. I'm not so sure. I think, I really don't know. Like I, 
because like you know trading is a huge part of my life and i am a trader but it is i don't actually that's a, that's a phenomenal question that i'm not too sure about okay you know? i suspect based on i watched that terrific conversation you have with anthony nito on investors underground and that was what i walked away with i really heard discipline your dedication to this craft and yet you seem to have this ability to hold it at an appropriate arm's length distance from your own identity which i think is really rare no, i pre i appreciate that it, it definitely took time like it took and i want to say like becoming systemic or systematic and has really allowed me to free up a lot of time and dedicate my focus elsewhere because you know, back when I was scalping and just kind of, you know, you know, at my computers constantly looking for that next play, or when I was in a trade and you know, I I didn't really have everything like mapped out where you know I had an idea where my stop would be. I never really knew where the right place to get out was for targets to take profits like that. Like so, I'd be constantly just glued to you know each tick and wouldn't really focus if I was in a stock. You know, even you know I couldn't leave for like five minutes without my phone being up with E Trade. But you know, ever since really becoming systemic and having everything defined, like it, it's allowed me to where you know, if I get into trade, I'll go to the gym where I don't have service for two hours. But because like I know I I do have a you know stop loss in, and it, it, it's allowed me to be more present with like in pretty much every aspect, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm not because like I definitely wasn't like that from the start. I was all in watching videos twelve hours a day, like what? just you know in in. So I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's something you can start by doing, you know, I, but right. I think it's something that eventually it, it will evolve to, I believe. Yeah. Are, are there things that you look back at those, you know, the first two to three years that you would, if you could go back to that version of yourself, you, what would be the top three things you would say, pay attention to these three things? Mm. Well, it, it would definitely have probably focused on risk management mm-hmm. because I didn't have the best. I definitely got away with a lot of like lucky uh, situations that could have taken me out way before the the big loss did. That would be one. Two, I would want to actually look more into the data and statistics side because I didn't look into that at all until really 2020. And then three would be really defining strategies more and doing probably more reviews early. I would, you know, I I noticed pattern recognition, but I didn't do enough like defining. Like, like I knew, like, oh, I've I've seen this setup before, but then you tell me to tell you ten ticker symbols of that setup, and I I draw a blank. I don't know. I I just saw it. You know what I mean? So I would kind of be more detailed and strategic. Like that way, I would I would definitely define like what is really my strategy. You know, I, I look back and I think about it. It's like. You know, it, it wasn't all luck because uh, I was seeing stuff and I was consistently making money. But at the same time, I couldn't teach it to anyone. It was just something I saw, you know? And it's like, I'm not saying you need to be able to teach it to everyone, but I feel like you should kind of be able to teach what you do to some people because then that means, I mean, you have things to find, you, you have a system. And, you know, like for me and my business partner, we have, you know, a Word document where, with like a hundred scans on trade ideas. And we have a Word document that says, you know, basically, you know, if it's on this scan, we have various entries, we have targets, we have, you know, just so many parameters that pretty much 
you could pass on to anyone. And it would take a while for them to learn the terminology and kind of understand the concepts of it. But once they understood that, I mean, you know, you, you could let them go at it. Isn't that a famous saying? What they say, if you really want to know if you understand something, can you articulate it briefly to somebody else? Yeah, yeah. And I've there's no way, no way back in the day I would have been able to like articulate to anyone. It was just one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man. I just I just see it and it just it, it makes sense real time and and yeah. it was working out. So but that's why I decided to shift because so it's more like of the mindset of uh should versus could, you know, because technically in the market anything can happen, but you know, it's a very yes. important decision. Like what should happen. You know? Talk about those, talk about the difference between those such a beautiful point to focus on. Yeah, well, uh, like uh, we'll use the recent runner, you know, CXAI, right? Like, so that was a stock I was very interested in. And, and this is April um, 19th, 2023. Anybody oh, yeah. go check it yes. out. So like CXAI, you know, it, it, so say you're buying that stock, right? And it could go to 70, you know, like, like it could go to 70 and it did, but why should it, you know, was there anything pointing to like why this should go there? Like, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say no. Like, like there's nothing that says should go to 70, but it did because anything in trading can happen. Now, you know, we talk about the reversal and, you know, I didn't play this one. So it wasn't actually part of my business plan. We were hoping for a push up uh, yep. when it opened that day. We were hoping for a push up and it would have gone on a scam. But sure enough, you know, it reverses back to a mean that we use. And then now it's bouncing today. That's like should happen because, it, you know, it gave. A trigger we look at now, it didn't get on a scan, which like really frustrates me because it would have been nice to capture, but it gave a trigger that we know it just wasn't on a scan. So we didn't put capital at work and it went to the target that it should go to. And that's just really the difference versus saying, you know, oh, I'll just short some here at 22 uh, or 20. I'll short some here at 20 because this could go back to 10. And like, sure, it worked, you know, it worked. But the major difference between could and should is conviction. You know, when you know something should happen, you're, you have so much more conviction than when when something can happen. Like I remember all the time, like being like scalping, I'd be so annoyed because I'd take 20, 30 cents and the stock would go down two, three dollars. So I'd be like, oh man, like brutal. Yeah, but where does you know where does that stem from? It's because at the end of the day, you know, I, I knew it could happen, but I didn't know it should happen. So I wanted to lock in the quick gains because it also could have went back up. You know, there is there wasn't that conviction. Yeah, totally. So conviction. Do you suspect it happens for each trader at different point as they begin? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. It's many, many traders, you know, talk about A plus, but don't actually know what their A plus truly is. I mean, I, you know, I would have told you about my A plus because I, I could, you know, I, I would see it, but I wouldn't be able to like have any data to back up what I'm saying or. You know, I I wasn't very nuanced. I was like, I knew the pattern, I knew what made an A plus, you know, to the to the eyes, but it was honestly kind of just fake because there was no statistics or I had no, you know, a lot of evidence or charts replicating the move. I didn't, you know, uh, or even data of uh, similar stocks, you know, because you know stocks with you know similar floats doing the same move. And going back through those and be like, you know, yeah, this is an A plus move because, you know, if we pull up this stock, this stock, this stock, this stock, this stock, they all give phenomenal reversals. They all give this kind of trade. Like you just so back then it was kind of 
just lacking. I, I just lacked so much nuance and just, you know, details. I just, I, yeah, I just didn't do that because I was scalping a lot of the names and I was making good money doing so that, uh, you know, I, I didn't really kind of get into the nitty gritty stuff that I, I now transferred to because I think for longevity, it's kind of a must. At, after that big loss, what did you do for yourself emotionally? Because, of course, I really care about the emotional side of this process. How did you process the anger, the grief? How did you work your way through all that? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I definitely cried a bunch. I like, I cried because it was like, it was so, it was like a, it was like a double whammy. And like the thing was, I actually, I failed my spring semester of classes because I was trading full time and I was making such good money that I could pay for my pretty much all my tuition. So I was going to surprise my parents with that. But I doctored all my grades in the spring and showed them like B's. So they thought like things were going well and then they had no clothes, uh, you know, how well I was doing trading. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, you know, it doesn't matter because I could just pay for my college, like they'll get over it. And then comes August, you know, September of the fall. And I'm so close to like the 250,000 mark. I'm probably 240 something. And I am just like, when I hit 250, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them and I'm going to give, I'm going to give my dad you know, like 200,000, I'll keep 50,000 and I'll trade, you know, and, and that was that, that was the game plan. And then when I lost all of it and like went back down to like 23, 24,000, I was just like, what did I do? I said, everything I just did, my whole reason for failing last semester, like out the window. So then not only did I have the loss, I had the realization of like, they're going to kill me for failing my classes. So then I devised a plan actually. So I was like super upset about, you know, trade. I, I devised a plan to try and make the baseball team because if I could make the Auburn baseball team, then I could get another year of eligibility. So they wouldn't think anything of it. I would just be on the baseball team and I could make up all those classes. So I had a elaborate scheme. I had a whole scheme in place. And I had a, so I trained for like two months to make the baseball team. I didn't trade. I, you know, I said like, you know, kind of like, to heck with that. And then no. trained really hard for two months with a lot of the baseball players to make the baseball team. I had an incredible tryout. Everyone was congratulating me because they thought I was going to make the team. And they actually took my best friend because they only had one spot. And I mean, and then it was just, well, that was like the ace in my pocket. So I was like, all right, well, this sucks. And I, I had to come clean. And I will say, like, it's funny how, like, everything, like, in life happens for a reason. Like, you know, if I do make the baseball team, I probably never go back to trading and I'm not here today. And actually, if I don't fail that semester, like, that semester of class, I don't stay at Auburn long enough to actually meet my now wife. So, yeah, so it had, like, a ripple effect. But basically, I had this, like, heavy weight on me. And then, you know, once I came clean and always I got the, you know, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Yeah, I talk, you know. The worst. The worst. Oh, the, the worst. worst. But it was... Just don't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, but it was like uh, the biggest weight off my shoulders and chest and like it felt so freeing. And then, you know, uh, shortly after that, my dad was like, hey, I, I think you need to get back trained again. And, you know, that support kind of helped me. But but yeah, honestly, like, like I definitely cried for a while. I was depressed. But then like, I think the realization of having to come clean, that, that kind of was like, 
that took over the from the law more than the loss because nothing was scarier than having to tell my parents that like i was like oh man my mom is gonna murder me but um yeah so so that's how everything went down. I, d- I just I, didn't- I love your strategic mind, though the elaborateness <laughs> of the plan to get out of jail. Oh yeah, it was you got it. and that's clearly showing up in your training. That strategic mind. I, it was something. I'm like I said. I'm very, very, very happy that it it ended up failing because it was for it was like for the best for sure. Yeah, but uh, that, you that's know, fascinating. I love that you pointed that out. That you know. So much of our life, when we look back, that those difficulties somehow are creating things like you being there to meet your wife, you wouldn't have probably been treating. Like, it's just fascinating to me that those golden kind of results come from pain. And yeah. Love. Yeah. And it's just like every decision that you like, you like, it made me kind of realize, you know, two years later, three years later, that's like these decisions that you kind of think are like micro decisions or stuff, like they really kind of alter and can change the direction of your whole life. And it's something as like, you know, a kid when you're 18, 19, 20, like you're not thinking about it. You know, you're kind of living day by day and making decisions and you actually don't realize, you know, the trajectory or path it's actually putting you on and and all that. So it's, you know, it's definitely it's interesting because it's just it's not how I ever thought or you know used to think and it's something that it really is important you know yeah yeah that's a beautiful movie called happenstance which allows you to see these small moments of what you think is really not essential and the ripple effect all those moments have later on you get to just watch those small moments unfold and that's what it sounds like about what you journey through. So we're going to hop over Twitter space now for part two and continue this conversation. I have pages of questions for you, but we'll try to get to them. This is such a great conversation and I'm so grateful you're here. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm booting up Twitter right now. Perfect. Perfect. Aloha, everybody. I am Wall Street coach Kim Ann Curtin. I host this Twitter space, which turns into a podcast. I got a select group of traders and entrepreneurs to help them define and secure success with less pain. I'm also the host of a Discord room called TraderHeroJourney.com. I'm so excited to have Alex Basito here with us today. Alex and I just came off of a Zoom video call, which will be part one of this podcast, which will release in about a week to two weeks. So we were just talking a little bit about major loss that you had quite a while ago. And I was asking you just about how you recovered from it emotionally. And I'm just curious what you said. You cried a lot before in the part one of this conversation. What else was it that helped you move through the doubt, the frustration, and to find yourself? How long did it take you till you can, you could come back into trading? It took two months and that was because of the elaborate plan I had to like not tell my parents that I failed the sing- spring semester of school. So it took two months and it, it was a good clear, like to clear my head. I think really just having a good support system and get me back on the horse. Like I knew at the time that like it wasn't all luck. There was, there was something to it and really just having 
you know, my dad tell me, hey, like, you know, get back on the horse. You got this. Like, you can do this. That that kind of just push kind of just reconfirmed, really helped me get back into it. And then from there, I just really worked on my risk management and kind of just slowly chipped away again. Didn't try to go for home runs, just kept hitting the singles. Was the support, I'm really cheering how incredible your parents were, especially in light of, you know, the courses that you took at college and those agreements were not what they were expecting. So talk a little bit about the support group, though, beyond your parents. I think it's remarkable and just a shout out to both of them for having your back in what could have been easily than not having your back. That's just really <laughs> says a lot about them. Yeah, no, it absolutely. You know, at the time, it was really just them. I was just getting started. I was just starting to chat to, you know, with Eric. And, you know, Eric was obviously very, um, very understanding and just kind of, you know, say, hey, man, it's happened to him a ton before. You know, it, it don't get down. It happens to everybody. This is um, Eric who? Eric Wood. And what was it that he was trying to kind of enroll you to say? He just, you know, was just kind of just letting me see that, like, it, it literally happens. It happens to everyone or, or or most people, you know, even, you know, a lot of the best traders I know today, they, I mean, they have a blow up story of themselves. So, you know, it, it was the first one. And, you know, you think it's the end of the world at the time. But, you know, he kind of just helped me see that, you know, the best of traders, you know, early on, especially early on, you know, have blown up and and look at where, you know, where they are now. It's it's a very long, a big picture thing. And just worrying about one blow up when I was fortunate enough to still be in the game, it's kind of just a, a bump in the road. It's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world. Why don't you talk a little bit about your trading strategy and the kind of trader you are? Just share some context about all that, if you would. Yeah, so I mean, 2019 before, I was kind of shorting parabolic stocks and trying to find tops and stuff. And often, you know, if I was in a, a trade, I, you'd, you'd find me like throwing my shirt off and sweating heart rate probably at 160, you know, like yelling at the computer monitor, like, let's go, come on, come on, like fail. like. And then, you know, nowadays, now that it's all pretty just systematic, it's, it's very boring. <laughs> Trading's super boring. That's actually something... I wrote down like two weeks ago that I have to actually be careful with because there was one stock and I, you know, I gave a trigger for my skin. I can only get 800 shares to locate. And I actually didn't take the trade because I was like, this is, a, you know, it's a waste of my time. And I realized like that was a terrible mindset to have. You know, it's, it's simple as just, you know, at least I, I had shares and sure, you know, the PL is not going to be anything, but it's more just, well, the, the system says it's going to work. So, you know, regardless of the shares, I should have taken the trade anyway. So like I, I said to you on, on part one, I'm really trying to kind of focus on my emotions more and how I feel during these trades because I don't want to let boredom or, you know, thinking that, you know, you're only having, you know, an insignificant amount of shares on a stock, like that shouldn't affect my decision whether I get in or not. It's simply as like my business plan says to get in, you know, even if I have, 10 shares. I should just get in because the business plan says I should. I should get out where it says because it, it's not it's not about the PL. It's about what the business plan says. Do you feel that your strategy has 
changed significantly since you began in lots of different ways? Or is it just now this very, like you speak about the systematicness of your plan? Is that something that? No it is, uh, yeah, like 180% or 180 degree turn from 2020. So I want to say 2021 is when I really maybe like a hundred percent switch to where I have really stopped taking discretionary trades and all of that good stuff. Like even now, like I, I kind of still want to experiment with the long bias stuff and I've taken a few long, long bias trades, you know, cause I only, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much like 95% short biased. And even now I've taken a few discretionary trades, Tesla in December, Alibaba in February and AI just the other week. And I'm, you know, I've lost like a collective 125,000 on those three trades. And it's just like, I'd rather just collect the data and back test it and come up with a strategy versus just taking these discretionary trades. It just, I find it to be, you know, a little bit, yeah, because it's, it's should versus could, you know, I, I look at the chart, I'm like, Tesla, you know, it, it got hammered in December. I'm like, man, this, this could bounce, you know, and trying to find a bottom and it just pretty much do that three times in a row. And it's like, take the hint, you know, take the hint that clearly this is not working. And it, I'd, I'd rather just back test the strategies and then kind of define everything and go back to that. It's, it's more just kind of robotic that way. And and I just kind of prefer it. If anybody here, aloha, Sam, well, you have two Sams tonight. If anybody here has any question, please just raise your hand and I'll let you jump right in to ask Alex any questions you may have. One of the questions I had, Alex, was what do you feel traders underestimate about this journey in those first three to five years? Well, I guess nowadays it's, I guess just easiness. I mean, it's, it's everyone kind of on social media, you know, any form of social media kind of flashes all the, you know, the Lamb, the Lamborghinis and all that. And I know it's, it's how you get clicks. It's how you get people, but it just, you know, I think people don't have a realistic expectation of like how hard it is. And yeah, that, that's pretty much the biggest thing, you know, like, like you can't just show up and, you know, trade on a laptop from anywhere. And like, you just, you can't do that until you're, you have all your systems up and running and established. And, you know, you, you kind of have everything, especially in, yeah, at the beginning years. I think that's kind of shown so much. And I think people just kind of get into it, expecting it to be like that. You spoke a bit on Investors Underground conversation with Dan, because it was such a great interview where there's time where you just don't trade at all and the discipline that that takes. I'm curious, it feels like what you said in this conversation and one we just had, that for you, it's almost not even that discipline isn't even required anymore because you're so committed to what your strategy is. So just talk about like, how does one go from having to be disciplined about not trading to the point where it doesn't even feel like discipline anymore. It just feels like that's how you stay true to your strategy. It takes, well, it's like anything in life, any temptation in life, when it's in front of you, it's harder to resist that temptation. So, you know, for, for instance, 
I, I don't log in and look for stocks moving anymore. I just, I don't do it. It's just you know, seeing kind of stocks move. You're just, you know, if you watch it all day, you know, you start kind of thinking, oh, maybe I have to make a little bit of money here if I just get in for a quick scalp or something. So like the key, like definitely try to avoid watching stocks intraday if they're, if they're not on uh, my scans in the morning or if they don't come up on trade ideas intraday or at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm just avoiding any momentum names because the itch is always there. That's one. Two is, I mean, it took a full year of like, it was a slow it wasn't like I, I I shut it off for a little, and then I realized I, w- I was missing opportunities that discretionary I would have caught, and that was kind of irritating me. But all mm-hmm. that meant is just more work needed to be put in to capture more moves, and just had to keep building more and more scans and collecting more and more data and capturing more and more moves. And now that's gone because you know yeah yeah we're not catching every play. You'll never catch every single play, but I feel like. We're catching most of the most important ones. That's uh, another thing. And then uh, the biggest thing for me was just not sitting in front of the screens, looking at the momentum names. Because, you know, when you do that, maybe early on you want to do that to watch price action and, you know, kind of learn stuff. But for me in my journey, that's just kind of a, a negative thing. You know, it's like, you know, I, I don't like buy snacks to have in my pantry because I eat them all like so i probably open up my pantry like 10 <laughs> times a day and there's nothing in there and like it, but the matter of fact is is if there were like so be like, oh you know you have good self-control you don't snack it's like no i just i don't you know i i try to kind of mold my environment to so it so I, i'm not put in that spot to where i will you know i can snack. that makes sense yeah yeah it's the temptation being being proactive about the inevitable temptation is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and it, it's a constant battle. I mean, it's it's easier when you're further along in your journey, and let's say you've you've made a lot of money, and you know you're you don't necessarily need trading to live anymore, and you can happily live without, like, let's say, trading for a year or more. That gives you the capability to also be more patient and wait for the best plays. You know. When you're just starting out and you have a small account, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to be patient because, you know, first of all, you don't even really know how to identify an A plus. So when that does come, you're not fully capitalizing. So you're not making up for a, a, a lot of, let's just say, C and B trades where, you know, if you're making 500 here and here, then the A plus comes, you make 1500. Whereas, like, you know, you just stop taking all those trades, the A plus comes, you make. 40 to 50,000 that makes your whole month or quarter it's a big difference do you feel that you could just summarize for us these best practices the ones you've mentioned others that come to you that traders who are experienced want to kind of always check in on themselves like do am i following these best practices yeah i mean it's constant inward looking and refinement and i really like neglected like the emotional side for a long time and you know like getting up and like just my heart rate being 150 plus and having to throw off layers of clothes i'm sweating like like even though that's exciting thrilling and fun it's not the healthy thing is it's not what, like trading should be very boring the allure of it is it, it's very exciting and if it's super exciting it's because you're probably gambling versus taking versus having like a statistical edge and knowing that you're putting capital at risk because the stats or 
are in your favor or X, Y, Z is in your favor versus just kind of a gambling. Did you notice this about your heart rate early on and, you know, having to, you know, pull up your shirt because you're sweating because you're so hopped up? Is that something you saw right at the beginning and thought perhaps that's appropriate? I imagine you could see that. Literally from the first trade, when I was risking $10 a trade, like <laughs> literally only risking $10. And, wow. And I like, my heart rate would be through the roof. Like it was the only thing I could hear because it was just like, it was just, yeah, it was just like a thrill. You know, I, I thought like, you know, that's kind of what it is. It's supposed to be super exciting. And like, you're in this name that's moving so quickly. And it's just like, it's just, yeah, it's just crazy. Like you're so nervous. You don't know really what's going to happen. And so like that literally from the first trade I ever placed, that's like what trading was. And at the time, you know, and that's kind of like what I knew for so long until, you know, I made changes and realized that like, that's not how it's supposed to be. How long was it before those changes got mute? How long did you endure that heart rate going up? It was definitely like after I, after I took the blow up loss, like I definitely went a full year thinking that was normal. And it was due to many factors. You know, at first it was just because of, you know, I was placing my first trade and like just the fact of like risking money, you know, was like so like nerve wracking that like, like that was the initial one. And then it became where, you know, I, I think I'm right. So it, it really was just because a lack of acceptance of risk or, or the amount I was risking was kind of an exciting or dangerous amount to where it, it made me nervous. I think like that's where a lot of the, you know, the heart rate and excitement came from was that it was not really a true acceptance of risk. So that's, yeah, that's definitely what got like my heart rate and, and stuff going. I'm just kind of curious, what does one do? Do you find that ever happens today for yourself? No, I, it, that hasn't happened in a long, long time. I would the last time that happened, I was short GME in like when it went to 500 and that was because I risked like the most, I, it was my biggest trade ever. And I risked the most I ever, like ever risked on a single trade on that one because I was so certain I was right. And it got so close to stopping me out. And I, I probably, I risked probably 50 times more than I'd ever risked on a single trade wow. at, at that time. And I just like, but I was so certain I was right. And, and, you know, it was that day they announced that they weren't going to like allow any more call buying. You can only sell the calls and all that. So it opened up in like the two hundreds and then it just went straight up from there. And I was just adding, 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 adding until I was out of buying power. And, you know, then it rolled over and I was fired up. So like, but that was, so that was probably yeah, two years ago, probably two years ago, maybe. So that was, the last I, I experienced that. What would you say to traders who are perhaps listening or will be listening who are like, he hasn't been unhopped up in two years? How do I do that? What would you <laughs> it's going to take a little bit of internal reflection. Just so trying to you know pinpoint what is it that is exciting you or, or firing you up? You know, is it how much you're risking, you know, are like, I feel like if you're truly comfortable with how much you're risking, then that's probably a lot of people's fix. 
That's one of them. Second is, you know, I would try and pinpoint what it is that's exciting you so much. Is it the unknown of whether you're right or wrong? Because whatever it is, it's probably a negative impact. Like I said, like, you know, maybe like on that GME, I, I knew the staff behind the trade and, and I decided to just really go for it. So I think that was like better. Like if I would have lost that trade though, I definitely would have been incredibly pissed off and like incredibly pissed off because how much I was risking at the time was reckless. But in my mind, there was no way I was wrong. And I wanted to kind of have a career trade. So there was definitely some flawed thinking in that one. Because no matter what, you know, when you lose, you, you have to have acceptance. And, you know, with that trade, you know, I, I knew that I was probably going to lose seven figures if I was wrong. And I told myself it was okay. But then when you're down like $900,000, and then you're just like, what the heck am I doing? I'm like, like, am I really cool with this? Like, like there's no way. Like, I would have been so pissed off. So yeah. I think you have to be really honest with yourself. And like, because anything like really can happen in trading, even if you have a 99.9% .9 win rate on a certain strategy, there's that 0 0.01 will eventually happen. And, you know, hopefully you have many, many winners before that happens, but it could happen early on. So you can't just risk your whole account. This is a conversation with Alex Posito. He is a former college student who turned into a seven-figure trader. He and I just did a Zoom video, part one of this, what will be a podcast on the Wall Street Coach, which is my podcast name. I host a Discord room called TraderHeroJourney.com that I'd love you guys to check out. It's the emotional side and the psychological side of trading. And we give you guys lots of support to navigate that. Some of what you just said, Alex, about the emotional side and your, you know, willingness to be self-aware. What do you attribute that to? And how do you continue to stay self-aware? What are some practices or best kind of things you do for yourself to just constantly check in that you are being as kind of awake and aware as you need to be? I just recently started kind of journaling again and, and with, with the sole purpose of like, of focusing and taking note of how I feel in traits. That was just, you know, a good buddy of mine that I met out here in Puerto Rico, you know, he thought that was incredibly important. And, and it was something that, you know, I'd never really have done, you know, I kind of like, I guess probably like most guys, you know, it's like, oh, dude, I'm really going to think about my emotions. Like, no way. Like that's just, I feel like it's very counterintuitive to how a lot of guys think. So it's definitely something newer and different, but I think it will, uh, it'll keep you honest and, I think, you know, so far, like I said, I noticed the boredom aspect or kind of aspect of thinking about uh, kind of a waste of my time because I'm not going to, you know, the P&L's basically irrelevant. And just thinking about that, being more aware about that, like those are not good things I should be thinking about. Like even like one to exit a trade just because it's going sideways all day and like it's boring. It doesn't matter if it's boring. Like, is it going to see my stop or is it going to see my target? Because at the end of the day, whether it does is important to the data and the business plan says it should see the target regardless if it's just going to go sideways and play catch up to the moving average. So it's kind of, 
I'm trying to take more note of it and be conscious about it because it's something that I think that people don't realize that it plays a bigger part than you'd think. Well, you know, I can't agree more with Todd because I see it all the time as the invisible driver for so many treaters and those that don't seemingly reflect on that. It's it's almost like, you know, they're missing the ability to have an uh, edge. And, and I'm like, you guys, you all should have as much edge as possible. Please let me know if you guys have any questions for Alex. I'd really love this to be interactive because this is part two of a podcast that the first part is a video podcast we just recorded before this Twitter space. If you guys have a question, just click the button and I'll open up your mic so you can ask Alex yourself. What do you do to decompress and to not be bored? What are some of the things that you do outside of treating that really served your treating in the long run? I started uh, working out more again and going out for midday, like three to six mile walk runs. I started playing tennis with some buddies out here at night in the evenings. I'll play pickup basketball. So I kind of just have been actually a lot more active than I've been in the past few years and trying to get outside more and not just stay inside because I always kind of tended to be in a routine where I'm at the desk all day and then I hop in the car and I drive to the gym and then I'm inside at the gym all day and then I come back. So I'm not really getting outdoors as much. So I've been trying to get outdoors a lot more. Does that change? Do you see an impact on your trading? Being just outdoors and more physically active? I mean, I don't, I don't know about an impact on my trading, but like just definitely more of an impact on my physical energy and how I feel. So I guess, I mean, it, it probably subconsciously improves it. But like, like today, for instance, I was looking at, I did like two hours. I probably went through like 150 charts. I was super burnt out. So I just went outside for an hour and went on, you know, like a four mile, three mile, just walk and just got some sun and. And then I came back and I felt way more kind of energetic and I wasn't as lethargic as I was. So it, it's just something that's kind of been boosting, I'd say, my energy and focus. So it's allowing me to be more productive when I am working. So you're paying attention to how, you know, what I say is like our vehicle, right? Our physical, emotional, our eyes, like all of the different aspects after looking through 150 charts. It sounds to me like you're really paying attention to just your energy levels, never mind anything else. Yeah, I, uh, I've been really big on that in the past, I'd say, six, seven months, is being more active, healthier, and just kind of getting back into well, shape, we'll say, and, and kind of doing things to kind of be competitive elsewhere and, and just get away from the screens because so many hours on the screen. I'm trying to do stuff that gets kind of just gets me outdoors and kind of just gives me kind of a reset, you know? Yep, totally. All right. Well, I'm not seeing any questions here. So I have one question before we end this Twitter space. If you guys like this conversation, please retweet it out there in case anybody wants to come in to ask a question. Again, if you change your mind, you do want to ask Alex a question, just raise your hand. This will come out in roughly a week to two weeks on the Wall Street Coach podcast. I'm just curious, you talked a little bit about how you budget for the 
times where you can't trade or the times where you're not going to have success. Talk a little bit about how important budgeting is to that kind of equanimity. It seems like you're able to hold over long periods of time. Yeah, it is uh, everything, you know, like budgeting and living below your means. And, you know, I can't say I've always done the best job. It's definitely something I would like tell every young kid, especially if they're they're making a ton of money and early on in their career. Like, you know, I, I, I do have a, a good buddy who did incredibly well during COVID. And, you know, he kind of spent his money on really nice cars and and uh, material goods. And then the market kind of, he just got absolutely smoked in 21 and 22. And now he, he you know, he's looking to sell the cars and he's looking to get a job elsewhere. It, that's not stop trading. It's, it's, you know, it's sad because number one thing I think takes people out is, and why people don't succeed in trading is because they just can't afford to stay in the game long enough to truly figure it out. I mean, rightfully so. It's, you know, it's hard to go a year, two, three years not being profitable or even, you know, just being break even, like just giving that time away and not making money for a living. Like most people can't just do that. So budgeting and not feeling pressured to trade to make money is really, really, really important because it takes a lot of stress off you. It allows you to wait for the best trades and and not feel like you need to be looking for the next opportunity versus letting the next opportunity come to you. So glad, so glad you spoke about that, Alex Bram. The mic is yours. What's your question for Alex? Thanks for being here. Bram, you have to unmute yourself on the mic, bottom left. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Awesome. Hey, Alex, congrats on the wedding, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, buddy. So does backtesting using the last four or five years of data kind of prove to be difficult because it seems like every year has been so drastically different one to the next or do stocks just move the way stocks move? And if you're finding it too hard to find an edge or a system, then you're doing it wrong. That's very interesting. So actually, like we have data from 2018 on and the 2018, 2019, 2020 and parts of 2021 data are very similar in the fact that the way we were measuring extensions back then and stuff had a lot to do with 52-week highs, all-time highs, and you know stocks were just, they weren't at their lows. So 2021 and 2022 were really, 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 it was a huge dry spell because we needed to figure out different ways to measure extension because there still were plays but we never had to kind of expand how we were looking at extension. So it, it really, it expanded our playbook immensely. And it, it actually like added like a ton of scan. But I mean, yeah, so 2021, 2022 were beyond slow. And, you know, it's finally starting to heat back up again now. But the data definitely and how, it's not so that the data is different. It's just how you measure extensions becomes different because you have to think outside the box. And you have to find different ways to, uh, to find like what filters on trade ideas are pointing to that extension. But in terms of the movement of the stocks, I'm finding that, I mean, they're all the same. Like, like, like my, the triggers that worked that are working now worked in 2018, 19, worked in 2020, 2021. So like on the execution side, how stocks move, I'm finding that to be completely the same. Just 
finding different measurement styles to capture the A plus was more difficult. Very interesting. Thank you for thank you for that, man. You're welcome, man. If anybody else has a question before we wrap up the Twitter space, please raise your hand now. Put your request in. Be sure to follow Alex here on Twitter. His interview with me, this is part two, and part one is a Zoom video interview will come out in about two weeks. Also, there's a terrific interview already up, Alex, up on Investors Underground YouTube channel. And it's just a really great conversation with Anthony, who asked some really terrific questions of you. Alex, anything else that you just want to say, just as parting words to perhaps encourage the traders that are listening here and a little later about the journey of being a trader that you feel you've learned through lots of cause and pain and suffering? I would just give everyone, you know, to stay optimistic, stay kind of keep moving forward. I find like, like on this year is actually today I've made like the least amount of money than I have in the past, you know, since really kind of since I've started, it's been, you know, and that, now that was part of kind of planning the wedding and not being around to capitalize on a few opportunities. You know, I was on the honeymoon when all the bank stocks tanked and that was like, those were good enough trades to make your year AI in February. I was short. And then I, I got on a plane to fly back to Alabama and I couldn't add or anything after they, they released good news. It spiked pre-market by 27, 28. I would have just been adding immensely, which probably would have made like at least the first quarter, a massive quarter. So like, you know, I'd, I'd kind of just tell everyone that, you know, if you're not absolutely killing it right now, like it's not the end of the world, more opportunities will come. I mean, it may get slow again if we make new lows in the spy, but you know, I would just kind of urge, uh, you know, reduce spending and just, kind of stay patient for those opportunities because they will come, you know, uh, and then when they do come, be prepared to outperform because sometimes, you know, you do miss the A plus, you know, even if you are prepared, you know, outside life kind of has plans for you too. So just kind of try and stay positive where you can. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Alex, for this conversation. You have such a stoic temperament. It's very inspiring how even killed you are. And even in a karaoke bar, which is where I had the good fortune to meet Alex in Las Vegas, you you were having fun. But again, you just have this kind of like stoic Buddha-like quality about you. It's it's really quite something. So well done, man. Well done. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And, and I look forward to seeing you in Vegas again this year. Me too. Me too. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Keep an ear out in the next two weeks. We'll have this full episode up on the Wall Street Coach Podcast.com and take a look at TraderHeroJourney.com, my new Discord room, and see if that is not for you and it's around emotional support for traders. All right, be well and have a great day and thanks for coming to this space. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at TheWallStreetCoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.